Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. I bet Fabiano's back there like, no, don't do that. Oh, okay. That's okay. We survived. Good to have you all here today. Thanks for coming out. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. So we get to really now, this week, focus our minds and our hearts and our lives on the most important week in the history of, of, of the history of the world, right? And... Um, So today we're going to focus on Palm Sunday, on Jesus going into the city city of Jerusalem on the Sunday before he died. And what was involved with that? It was certainly a Sunday unlike any other Sunday in his life. Um, Surprisingly enough, the New Testament does not give us a lot of teaching on Jesus spending much time in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, there's just not a lot of time spent on him being in that city. Six times outside of this week, at least six times that I could find in the New Testament, the, the uh, Bible teaches us about Jesus in that city. The first is when he was dedicated as a child. That's in Luke chapter 2. Then the second, then the second time was when he was teaching as a 12-year-old in the temple courts. That was also in Luke chapter 2. Then in Luke chapter 4, Satan takes Jesus to the temple there in Jerusalem to tempt him. In John chapter 2, Jesus goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and that's the time that he cleansed the temple for the first time. Then in John chapter 5, he goes to Jerusalem, and this is the account where he is, he is healing the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus goes back Jesus goes back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And that's really about it. At least that's all I can find. I challenge you. Maybe you can find one that I didn't find. But uh, those are the times that Jesus was in Jerusalem before this time. Now, probably, I think we could safely assume Jesus was in Jerusalem other times. And certainly, I think he was probably there each year to celebrate Passover. But those are the times that are mentioned in the Bible. So today... Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and it is a Sunday, it is a entry into Jerusalem unlike any others. This was different. This was different than all the other times. What makes it so different? All right, let's find out. It's in Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to spend our time today, Luke chapter 19. And um, this story is told in all four Gospels. But today we're going to look at this account of Jesus going into Jerusalem. Before we read it, I think it's important for us to understand that like Jesus, okay, so he goes into Jerusalem on this day. He's coming from Jericho. He goes into Jerusalem. He doesn't spend the night in in Jerusalem. He goes back to to, uh, the town of Bethany each night. Okay, so on Sunday he goes into Jerusalem. Then Sunday night he goes back to Bethany. Okay, so Bethany is a town two miles away. It's a small town, two miles to the east of Jerusalem. That's where he spends the night. Okay, all right, so then on Monday, he gets up, he goes back to Jerusalem. Then on Monday night, he goes back to Bethany, spends the night. Tuesday, same thing, goes into Jerusalem. Tuesday night, goes back to Bethany. But then on Wednesday night, the Bible's silent. As far as Wednesday, uh, we don't know what Jesus was doing exactly. It makes us... It makes it sound like he probably stayed the whole day there in the village of Bethany. 
Then on Thursday, Jesus gets up, gets his disciples, goes to Jerusalem. He has his last supper. He goes to the garden to pray, gets arrested. He gets tried, and he goes to the cross for the sins of the world. Before all that happens, he goes to Jerusalem on Sunday. And again, like I mentioned, it's a different type of entry into the city of Jerusalem. Follow along. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, because the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay, let's stop there. Just to help us wrap our minds around what was going on as far as geographically goes, there's a map I want to show you. It's a little blurry, but it's still going to serve our purpose this morning. All right. So this is the city of Jerusalem. And I've got a, a uh, there it is. All right. So this is Jerusalem right here. This is the Mount of Olives. It is just to the east of the city of Jerusalem. There on top of the Mount of Olives is this small, it's a very small village called Bethphage. This is the only time in the whole Bible that we hear anything about this village. All right, so Jesus, when he started this journey towards Jerusalem, he started up in Jericho. It was 14 miles to the northeast up this road over here somewhere. It's the city of Jericho. Jesus leaves Jericho on this day and he walks down towards the city of Jerusalem. And he comes right here to the Mount of Olives. As soon as he gets up there, or close to the Mount of Olives, he tells his disciples, go to the village. Go to the village and get those donkeys for me. So they go to the village and they bring him the donkeys. After he gets the donkeys, all right, so his disciples, they, they put their cloaks on the donkeys. And then they put Jesus on that colt. All right, so here we have Jesus. He is now on the donkey, and he's starting to take his ride into Jerusalem. Some very fascinating things happen as Jesus is on that donkey going to Jerusalem. And there's three different actions that Jesus takes that I want us to make sure that we understand today as we begin to prepare our minds, prepare our hearts for this week. There's three different actions he takes. And the first is this. Jesus declares his kingship. Jesus declares his kingship. All right, so how does he do that on this, on this donkey ride? How is he declaring his kingship? Well, the first is, is that he's actually riding a donkey. 
And I was thinking, out of all the animals that I would choose to take me somewhere, probably not a donkey. And that is my limited, finite mind being finite. Jesus chooses a donkey. It's important to understand that in this time in history, for a king to sit on a donkey or for a person to sit on a donkey is something that a king would do. But a king would do that in order to show peace or to show that his kingdom was at peace or if he was coming in peace, he would ride a donkey. This is not the first time in the Bible that we see a king or a very important person riding a donkey or possibly a mule, all right? Here's some other situations or uh, times we find. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33. Solomon, Solomon, when he becomes king, he rides a mule. Judges chapter 5, Judges chapter 10, and Judges chapter 12. I'll let you read those for yourself if you want. Those are different times when, when kings or important people spent time on a donkey or on a mule. 2 Samuel chapter 16, King David's household received donkeys as a gift for his household to ride. So this was not that uncommon for a king to spend time on a donkey. But when a king is riding a donkey, it is, it is showing peace, right? So here's Jesus, and he's riding a donkey. And he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem. So, so that's the first way that he is, he is declaring his kingship. He is on an animal that was intended for a king to ride. Something else is going on. In verse 38, read it with me. He says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This huge crowd, this huge crowd is now shouting, Blessed is the king. Blessed is the king. They are calling him a king. And this is the first time that we see Jesus actually letting them exalt him as a king. The other times in the New Testament, when there was a crowd that started to exalt him, Jesus, Jesus would stop it. And he didn't let it happen. But today is different. Today, Jesus lets them call him a king. There were other times in the New Testament after Jesus healed somebody, and he told them, do not go tell people what just happened. And the reason why is because Jesus did not want a crowd. Jesus did not want to be exalted because Jesus knew that when he was exalted as king, it would be the beginning of his death, and that was not time. Now is the time for him to be exalted as a king. Something else was going on here, too. Verse 36 as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. This is not the first time in the Bible that we see that happening either. Actually, in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 9, I believe it is, if I can find it here in my notes. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12 and 13. Jehu was anointed as king over Israel. And as soon as that happened, the people around him took off their cloaks and they put it on the ground in front of him so that the king could walk over their cloaks and not touch the ground. This was another way that people would exalt a king, to glorify a king. 
what was Jesus doing? He was declaring his kingship. Why? Why is that so important? It's five days away from his death. Why choose that now? Why now, out of all the time in history, those past three years, Jesus could have been called a king. Why now? First off, because, first off, because he was a king. He still is a king, but he was a king, and a king deserves his glory. But something else is going on. Jesus is putting into motion the wills, the wills into motion to make things happening. Jesus is starting the ball rolling. Jesus knows he's got to be on that cross on Friday. On Friday. Why does Jesus need to be on that cross on Friday? Because Friday is Passover. And Friday is the day that all the lambs, the Passover lambs, were slaughtered for the sins of the people. And Jesus knows I've got to be on that cross on Friday because he is the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. So when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and is allowing this huge crowd that gathers around him to declare him as king, he is putting the wheels in motion because he knows that the pure hatred that are within the Pharisees and the, and the Sanhedrin, he knows that after they see Jesus being declared king, with all this glory and all this attention that they want, Jesus knows there's no way they will let him live through that week. He is putting the wheels in motion because he knows Friday I'm going to be on that cross. The first thing we see Jesus do as he rides that donkey into Jerusalem is to declare his kingship. He does something else. Jesus offers peace. Jesus offers peace. First off, as I've already established, he is on a donkey. And a donkey portrayed peace by a king. He does something else, though. There's something else in this passage. If you look down to verse 38 again, it says this. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's what the crowds were saying about him. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These Jews there in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas, they declared Jesus as their king first. But they didn't understand. Their minds thought he was going to be a king, all right, but he was going to be their political king. He was going to set them free from the oppression of the Romans. They didn't understand in their mind, but their mouth was still speaking truth. Jesus was indeed a king. Secondly, they are saying Jesus is going to bring peace. And again, they are picturing political peace. They are picturing their own nation, their own king, and they can have peace at last. Again, their minds don't grasp what is really going on, but their mouth is speaking the truth. Jesus will bring peace, and Jesus is offering peace. Again, one final time on this day, he is offering the people of Jerusalem peace with God through him. Peace with God. Jesus had been teaching for three years that he is coming as the Son of God in the flesh on the earth so that the world can have peace with God through him. 
And Jesus, again, offers peace. But there's one more statement that Jesus himself says, verse 32. In a few minutes, we're going to dig a little more deeply into this verse. But for now, it says, if you, okay, this is Jesus, and he's talking to the city of Jerusalem as he's, as he's standing out over it. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, Jesus, he's making one last plea to the people in Jerusalem and essentially to the world. I come to bring you peace with God. But they did not hear. They did not understand. They did not listen. Jesus declares his kingship. Jesus offers peace. There's one more thing that we see. It's very important for us to know. Jesus fulfills prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus, during his lifetime on earth fulfilled over 300 prophecies, 300 prophecies. That's a lot of prophecies, 300 of them. During this donkey ride into Jerusalem, Jesus fulfills two, two of those 300. And the first one I'm going to draw your attention to was written about Jesus 500 years before Jesus rode that donkey. 500 years. That's a long time. Friends, most of us can't even imagine what the world is going to be like 500 years from now, right? I mean, we can't even begin to imagine. Much less have any idea what's going to happen in a specific city on a specific day and who's going to be involved in it, right? But we can't do it. That's an act of God. In 500 years, let that sink in, 500 years before Jesus rode that donkey in, there was a prophet named Zechariah that God spoke to through his Holy Spirit, and he wrote these words in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14. It says this. Sorry, Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. It says, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That should make us sit back and go, wow. Really? Really, God? 500 years? Not just some kind of vague prophecy. Oh, this might possibly fit there. No. Listen to this. It says... It says, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. That's another phrase for Jerusalem. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. So, so the place is established. It's the city of Jerusalem. There's rejoicing and there's shouting going on as Jesus is riding that donkey. And it says, see, your king comes to you. Jesus comes as a king. Righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not just any donkey. Not some kind of donkey that's uh, past its prime. And maybe, uh, you know, okay, that's a donkey. No. Jesus is so specific. God is so specific that he tells us the gender and the age of that donkey. It's the colt, the foal of the donkey. It's a male, it's a young male donkey. 500 years before. It's phenomenal. All right. As if that isn't enough, just to make us go, wow, amazing. Let's go back even earlier. 1,500 years, 
1,500, we can't, that's beyond comprehension, right? 1,500 years. In the book of Genesis, there's an account of Jacob. Just before he dies, he is talking to his sons, and he's blessing them. And in chapter 49, Jacob is talking to his son Judah. And this is the blessing that Jacob has for his son Judah. In Genesis 49, verses 10 and 11, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, to whom it belongs, shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Who's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. It says, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This is a future time when Jesus will reign over the nations of the world. But there also says he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. Friends, as I read that verse, to me, that's clearly a prophecy of Jesus on this day riding a colt into the city of Jerusalem 1,500 years earlier. Why do we care? Why is that important? Because it's a fantastic reminder of the sovereignty of the God that we worship. God, from the beginning of time, had been planning and weaving his perfect will throughout human history. And not a detail was overlooked. Nothing was forgotten. Weaving his perfect will all the way up through the, through the occasion where the Son of God rides a donkey into Jerusalem. Days later, dies on a cross. But God is not done. He is still weaving his perfect will throughout human history. It's going according to his plan, and not a detail is left undone. Everything, nothing escapes his attention, his eye. He is in charge. And you and I, if you are Christ followers along with me, we get to be part of that will. We get to be part of how God works in and through the course of human history. It's fantastic. Jesus does three things on that donkey ride. One, Jesus declares his kingship. Two, Jesus offers peace. Three, Jesus fulfills prophecy. Why do we need to know that? Because, friends, it wasn't just true then. It wasn't just for that day. Jesus is still king. Jesus still offers peace. Jesus is still fulfilling prophecy. God is still at work. And he's offering to you today the peace with him through Jesus Christ that he wants you to have. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? 
There's a lot more we need to see in these verses because it just gets more interesting as we go through it. Man, don't let this week go by without taking time of the events of this week and how life-changing and how eternity-changing they were. Take time each day. We're going to keep going through this passage. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Okay, I want us just to kind of grasp this in Let's form a little mental picture of what's going on here. Here we have Jesus. Okay. Let's pull up that map one more time. Here we have Jesus. Okay. So, so here he is. Uh, okay. All right. So here's the Mount of Olives. All right. So Jesus, he's taking this donkey ride, and he's going to go down this road, down the Mount of Olives, into the city of Jerusalem. That's important to know. Keep in mind, Jesus is not the only person on the roads on this day. Lots of people are going to Jerusalem. Some people estimate that the city of Jerusalem, just on a normal day during the life of Jesus, would have been somewhere between 25, 35,000 people. No one's quite sure, but that's kind of a conservative estimate. But this week, Passover week, some conservative guesses are right around 250,000, 300,000 people. And they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And in my mind, I just picture like all kinds of campsites around the city of Jerusalem because all the rooms were filled, right? But the people were coming to celebrate Passover. And we, here we have Jesus, and he's on this donkey. And when his disciples take their cloaks and they put the cloaks on that donkey, and then they put Jesus on that donkey... And then they started shouting that, right? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, now you have to remember, Jesus at this point, his name is not a secret, right? Jesus is no secret. He had been doing miracles for three years. And just a month prior to this, he raised a dead man from the grave. People know who he is, right? And in my mind, just the common Jewish people of the day in the city of Jerusalem and in that whole part of that region, they wanted to see him. Because they're thinking, that's the man. That's the man who can deliver us from the Romans. And they're excited. And they're anticipating it. And they want a glimpse. Because they're thinking, Jesus is a Jewish male. He's going to come to Passover. So as this city is all excited about Passover week, I can't help but think a lot of these people are thinking, I hope I have my chance. I want to see Jesus for myself. And so when his disciples put Jesus on that donkey and they started shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, these other people that were around who were walking the trail, they saw this, they heard this, and they're like, that's him. That's Jesus. So, so then they go over there and a the crowd draws a crowd. The crowd's getting bigger and bigger. And they're like, that's Jesus in the middle of that crowd. They're telling each other. And just in my own mind, I can picture some of the young kids that were in that crowd going up to Jerusalem and telling them, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Right? So then perhaps these people come out of the city, and they're coming up to this crowd to see Jesus riding this donkey. There's, a, there's an excitement. There's a crowd building. People are excited. And the, and the Pharisees hate it. Man, they hate it. Whew. I mean, they, they, they have more hatred towards Jesus than you can imagine. They had been planning for weeks. They had been planning for years 
how they could kill Jesus. And so his Pharisees go up to him. Or not his Pharisees. The Pharisees go up to him. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So these Pharisees made their way through the crowd. They got to Jesus at the middle of the crowd. And they say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because in their mind, it is out of control. Way too much attention given to this man they hate. And they want the crowd to be quiet. They want the crowd to go home. They want this done with. And Jesus says to them, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's two common ways of reading these verses, of like understanding that verse right there. There's, there's basically two ways people tend to think as they read that verse. And the first is probably the most common, and it's something like this, right? Some people read this verse and they think, okay, so Jesus is telling the Pharisees that this is my day. This is the day when I will be exalted as king. And nothing's going to stop it. And Jesus is saying, if the crowds and if my disciples don't praise me, the stones will praise me. And certainly, Jesus, with all of his power, the same Jesus who calmed the storm and raised a dead man, could have certainly given a voice to stones to praise him. Right? Certainly, within the realm of possibility. But I don't think that's the most correct way of like, understanding these verses. Let's keep reading. Because it, this gets very interesting. It says, verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. That word translated from the Greek into the English is the strongest word for, for crying, for, for a physical expression of heartache in the Greek language. This is not some kind of gentle, loving weeping. This is sobbing. Jesus is sobbing. It's a heartbreaking, gut-wrenching sobbing. Because Jesus, as he's coming down that mountain, he's got a perfect view of the city of Jerusalem. And he sees this mass of humanity. Thousands and thousands. And he sees the temple. No doubt he can see, a, he can see the temple very clearly. This huge, glorious temple. The purpose of that temple is to help is so that people can be reconciled to God. And Jesus sees all these people. But he doesn't just see the people, he sees their hearts. And his heart breaks. He's like, I've been telling you for 3 years I've been doing miracles and displaying the power of God. I've been teaching you about his love for you and that I am the way you can have peace with God. I am. You can have peace with God. Accept me for who I am, the son of God. And they don't believe him. They don't listen. They choose not to follow him. And his heart breaks to the point where he is sobbing. And through those words, through those tears, Jesus says this. If you even, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus is saying, one last try. Listen. Listen to who I am. 
And they don't. They don't listen. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. About 30 years from that time, the Jews in Jerusalem revolted against the Romans. They cried out against the oppression that they were inflicted upon by the Romans. They also cried out saying, we want our own king. We want to be our own nation. This, of course, brought the Roman army to Jerusalem three years later. In 70, in 70 A.D., that Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. They built a barrier. No one was allowed into Jerusalem with supplies. No one was allowed out of Jerusalem. If anyone tried to get out of Jerusalem, the Roman soldiers killed them. For five months, that Roman army was attacking the walls around Jerusalem, making it weaker and weaker and weaker. At the same time, they're starving those people to death. After five months, they charge in to Jerusalem. And over the next couple of days, they slaughter them by the tens of thousands. They take their swords and their spears and they kill man, woman, and child. The only ones they saved, they sold into slavery or they sold them to be gladiators in their Roman games. Let's read it again. 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As, the, as those Roman soldiers went in, they tore down the walls, they tore down the temple, and they set it all on fire. Some of the historical documents said that the city of Jerusalem was practically unrecognizable. And Jesus knew it was coming. Friends, I believe that if the city of Jerusalem would have received Christ for who he was, that day would have never happened. And today the city of Jerusalem would look much different. But think about this. 2,000 years later, today, the city of Jerusalem still, they still have not received Christ for who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah. Still. Wow. My thoughts are not so much concerned about Jerusalem today. It's about us. Is he your king? Do you have peace with God through the Son of God who walked this earth in his death and his resurrection? Do you believe Jesus is returning again and will fulfill many more prophecies? Is he your king? Friends, you know what happened on the Mount of Olives 47 days later? The best math that I can figure out, and I'm not great with math. Jesus ascended back to heaven on the Mount of Olives. You know what the Bible says Jesus is going to do someday? And this is, okay, so this is how I interpret Scripture. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, it says, and this is a day in the future still, 
On that day, his feet, Jesus' feet, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Jesus will return, and he will return to the Mount of Olives. But when he returns, he is not coming on a donkey. The book of Revelation tells us how he is going to return. It's in chapter 19. I'm going to read these words to you. Uh, book of Revelation, chapter 19, starting in verse 11. It says, I, and this is the words of John, right? This is prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The So the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. His tre uh, so he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is still fulfilling prophecy, and someday he will fulfill that prophecy, and he will return. Jesus will return. But he won't come on a donkey. He will come on a white horse. It's a war horse. And he's bringing justice and truth and righteousness with him. Are you ready to meet God someday? Is Jesus your king? Do you have peace with God through Jesus? Are you looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ with joy and anticipation and excitement? Friends, if not, don't wait till tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. Right now, where you are, bow your head, bow your heart. Say, God, I need peace with you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to this world, who walked this world, died, died on the cross for my sins. Thank you for conquering sin through your resurrection. God, take charge of my life. Forgive me. Bring me into your family. Be my king today. Show me how to live my life in a way that pleases you. Be my king. Sit on the throne of my life. Is Jesus your king? So Jesus, on this donkey, Rides into Jerusalem, declaring his kingship. He's got the donkey, right? He's got, this, he's got this noble animal that a king would ride. He's got the people around him shouting, blessed is the king. He's got the cloaks and the palm branches on the ground that, is, that, that he's riding over. But something's still missing. Something's missing for this king. 
He's missing a robe. And he's missing a scepter. And he's missing a crown. But the book of Matthew tells us he will indeed later that week get a robe and a scepter and a crown. And it says in the book of Matthew, the Roman soldiers take Jesus to a palace and they give him his very own coronation ceremony. It's a ceremony meant to harm him, to mock him, to make fun of him, to injure him, to ridicule him. The soldiers, because of their spiritual blindness and their sinfulness and because of their ignorance, they didn't understand that they were in all reality, literally, literally, crowning a king. Is he your king? Do you come Sunday mornings and just listen to the words, or is he your king? Do you leave this church every day and just go back to life as normal? Or is he your king? Does he control your life? Is Jesus your king? Do you have peace of God through him? And are you looking forward to the return of Christ someday? Oh, I pray so. I pray so. Come back Friday. Come back Sunday. Because we will worship. We will worship the death and the resurrected king. The death and the resurrection of our eternal king. We will worship him. Pray with me, please. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you reached down into a sinful world and sent your son to die on the cross for our sinfulness, for our sins, so that we can have peace with you. Thank you that Jesus is a king, not an earthly king, but an eternal king. God, we look forward to the day when we meet you face to face that is made possible because of your son walking in this earth, dying as the lamb of God upon the cross for our sins. May we not leave here the same. May that truth change our life. May you be our king every day. Be our king. Be our king. Show us, God, how to live our life as you as king and empower us through your Holy Spirit. God, if there's anyone here today who has not yet made you their king, God, speak to them now. May this be the day when their life is changed for eternity and they gain peace with you and look forward to seeing you someday. God, we love you, we praise you, we adore you as our Savior, as our Lord, and as our King. In Jesus' name, amen.